to Koke, a podcast for all generations. Koke is a Punjabi word. It means to be open. It means to be openly. And here at Koke, we encourage all of our listeners to listen Koke, speak Koke, and think Koke. If this is your first time listening to Koke, thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be a wild ride. And if you are a continued listener, you are the best, man. You're the MVP. Thanks for coming back. This is Harpo. I'm Nimrit. I'm Simran. And this is season two, episode four. And today we're talking about childhood wounds. And these are not the wounds that we got when we fell off our bikes or our scooters. Remember those scooters? Like the, <laughs> the and then it would like hurt. Your ankle. That yeah, wasn't a good time. Yeah, ankle scooters. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like really nice, fun, deep, emotional child wounds. So <laughs> The great thing about therapy is that when you go to therapy, if you've ever been to therapy, um, you would know that when you go to therapy, you talk a lot about like, you start at, start at your childhood. You talk about stuff that happened to you when you were a kid. And oftentimes when you go there, you don't even think that talking about your childhood, like at least for me in my experience, I didn't think I was like, why am I talking about things that happened like 20 years ago if my problems are like right now? Mm-hmm. So the thing about therapy is that sometimes uh, it, you get an awareness of your childhood wounds and not all of our problems, but many of our problems in our current life as adults can be traced back to our childhood because these are things that we picked up as we were kids um, or stuff that just happened to us when we were younger. And and the thing about childhood wounds is that they pop up again in our lives and it forces us to reconcile with our childhood wounds if we want to sometimes get past whatever's happening us right now or whatever we're dealing with. Um, childhood wounds can appear to us as patterns in our lives as adults that we feel like we should probably address. So I'm in a place right now where I'm currently parenting my inner child, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Nimrath Auntie is going to give us the 411. Um, 411, 411, 911, I don't know. She's going to give us <laughs> the lowdown on what parenting your inner childhood is. Um and it's basically just giving five-year-old Harpo inside of me what she needs. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to throw it on over to Nimrathanti so she can talk to us in her life coachy words a little <laughs> bit about childhood wounds and like pranking your inner child. What is all that fun stuff? <laughs> okay. Um, so what happens is, first of all, I want to say there's a caveat to this. Not all parents are out there to wound their children. I would hope not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it happens anyway. So every single one of us has got a wound from childhood and it can happen from the smallest of things that other people, the adults in our lives don't even realize that it's having the impact on the child, but the child feels it very keenly because they're young and they don't understand the adult world. And so they pick up on a pattern or a feeling and it becomes a part of them. And then they start looking out for it. And then it kind of shapes a pattern that they go back to. So what are some examples of childhood wounds that perhaps we carry in our own lives? I know that's a bit of a personal question, but that's what we're here for. Um, what are some childhood wounds that we have? I can start. So this is a wound that I didn't even know I had until very recently. And it didn't come to me through a conscious way. It came through me subconsciously. I was doing some other work. But um, I... So I'm one of seven girls. There were seven girls born to my parents. And the second child born was a son. But he died within his first week. Um, And it's something my mother never recovered from. 
And so they kept on having children because she was convinced that her put was going to come back. And he mm. didn't. You know, there were girls being born. And I remember when my younger sister was born, I was old enough at that point, five. You know, she was the seventh. And all the adults in the family were crying and just going re really sad and like really crying because mm. it was a girl. And I remember in my 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 little mind I was like but this is supposed to be a really happy time and I got very confused by that mm -hmm. because I was very excited to have like a real doll to play with like who's a human mm -hmm. and then I don't real I didn't realize this but when I was born I think they cried too so it was yeah. it's it's a wound that I've had to my psyche at such a like my first breath and you know I was a girl and not wanted so one of my yeah. childhood wounds is the feeling of being rejected the feeling of being not wanted it's kind of like a abandonment and it leads to, so what, what I can say that even now is that if I go through a tough time, if just some challenge at work or in my home life, the place I go back to is that feeling of abandonment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be where I end up. What about you, Sam? You know, I haven't done a lot of work or any, to be quite frank, on like my inner child. Um... I think I've always focused more on like saboteurs and like negative, like inner critical voices. But I think those can come from that as well. I mean, obviously parents divorced at seven is probably the root of a lot of shit for me. But um, I think when I was younger, I used to, and other people around me would be like, you know, they have that mentality where like, oh, poor Simran or and Shibni, like, they don't have a dad in their life all the time. Like, he's so far away. Or, like, poor them, they went through this traumatic experience. And, like, when I was younger, I was like, well, it's not that big a deal. I get to go to England every summer. Like, it's fine. I mean, I had my <laughs> issues. Yeah, right? Like, it was like, I could see the fun parts of it. And then as I grew up a little bit more, and I think even when I was really young, I, I could understand subconsciously the things that were not okay and the things that were hurting me, which was, like, the way that my dad would speak about my mom and like extended family and like his attitude towards the whole thing and on the other end of it there's my mom who like never said anything bad about my dad or like his side of the family but I think for me and then that was her like being like such a strong badass bitch to like not stoop to that level seriously mm -hmm. which I never appreciated or understood until now like when I'm older because at the younger age I used to think that like I don't know. I just used to think that she just, like, wasn't with it. Like, I'm like, what? he's saying such horrible stuff. And I never used to really tell her stuff. Shabnit used to tell her the stuff. Because at, at seven or eight, I was, like, trying to protect her from the pain of that and trying to protect Shabnit from the pain of, you know, our father saying those things. So I would tell him not to say stuff to her and, like, I would, like, just absorb it all. And I think throughout my teenagehood, like, that... I really, really was very easily manipulated by things and mm -hmm. by the way that he spoke and what he wanted. Um, like, what he wanted my life to be and what he wanted my life to look like. And I remember going to see him in the summer and coming back. Like, September was always really hard for me because when I came back home, I would have a really hard time readjusting to life here because I had been, like essentially at a one-month boot camp of your mom's the worst person in the world. So I would mm -hmm. come back and I would so rebel and mom would just not say anything and she would just let me get it out and I would be so angry all the time and like 
point out all the things that were wrong with the house and wrong with the way we lived our lives because that's all my dad talked about. Mm-hmm. And I would spew that back on her. The month of September would be over and then I would be like, actually, my life's fine. And like, I'd be back to normal. Right, so that that's an example of like what I can remember in terms of rooting it down to like patterns I've avoided doing that a lot of my life because I don't want to deal and because even right now I have like an emotional lump in my throat because I don't want to talk about it (laughs) because it's hard to talk about it's hard to express that sorry that somebody who's supposed to be your dad can be so mean to somebody else that you love and then when Mm. you tell them that it hurts you and that it's not okay that they continue to do it anyway. This is the part that I never understood and I don't understand now that I'm older, is like, why do I have to keep being the adult in the relationship and tell you what's not okay and what's okay to say? And how can you not understand when like, and I don't wanna go into a whole blame game of like, this is his entire fault and whatever, and he's the one who screwed me up because I'm sure there are other things in my life also. But yeah, I don't know, I just, I feel like when it comes down to the patterns is there's definitely an abandonment issue because I feel like he left and never came back or was present in the way that I felt like a father should be present. It was just like a burden to deal with his issues. And then, yeah, there was a role reversal. Mom's pointing at a sheet for me. (laughs) Role reversal. I felt like a lot of betrayal. Um, I felt like I had to be a mediator between them because mostly because he couldn't deal with her and then when he couldn't deal with her she couldn't deal with him and so I became like the in-between and I think a lot of these things like that's created a lot of patterns of behavior and really really like shaped almost my personality I think as well and so I know that when I'm facing problems like these things will come up in my life hmm. but it's really freaking hard to deal with yeah so i just want to take a pause there Simon, and just notice that so much has come up for you yeah and we don't want to like step over that because because it's actually activated those patterns that yeah and that. that's the thing is like that's why I, I know when i talk about it i get emotional and i get angry and what's surprising is like as much as i can try to like not talk about it or shut it down or like whatever it doesn't mean that the feelings ever go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and right now you're feeling them in your throat because your voice is affected. So allow yourself to feel the feelings because they're there anyway. Yeah. And they're very deeply ingrained. So this happened when you were seven and you're 24, 25 yeah, now. 25. 25. So that's how long it's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is such a, like such a deep subject. Thank you for saying that on this episode, like sharing all of that and being as vulnerable. And I think that it also shows that we're doing this work with everybody. Like, yeah, totally. you know, we're not like, we always just pick a topic based on what's going on in our life. And the reason that we do that is because when we come here into the space, we're, we're learning with everybody and we're yeah. opening up with everybody because like Sim said that she doesn't normally talk about this, but in the act of like opening up and being open, you're opening up that box, you know, and that's yeah. what we do when we come here. So if, if you didn't have a reason to listen to it before, <laughs> then you do. <laughs> so knows we cry on our episodes. Um, a lot of things were coming up for me while you were talking, Sim. Um, well, I wrote down abandonment based on what um, Andy was saying, and then role reversal and like mediating. 
that that those are my childhood wounds as well like my I went to therapy earlier this year um to kind of, like and I, I when I went to therapy like I really didn't have a reason for it like I just knew that I it was something that I had to do and and post therapy I realized it's because there was so much stuff that happened in my childhood that I feel like I I didn't necessarily ever talk about um abandonment was definitely one and and the way that like I want to set this up is like it's it's what Auntie said earlier. It's like our parents don't ever intend to do this to us. Like I mean, some do, some, some do. know fully well. Yeah. Some are fully aware of the shit that they're doing to their kids, i.e., manipulating them. Mm-hmm. But some just honestly don't know. And and the reason, like, so okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But the thing with the thing with me was I realized my childhood wounds, and then I confronted my parents about them one day, like in a very very um, dramatic way. And I feel like I really hurt my parents by telling them like, well, you did the X, Y, and Z to me because it goes back to what you said, Auntie. Like they never intended to do it, but but they did do it. Um, my parents, like most immigrant parents, weren't really around when I was growing up. Um, you know, they were always working. So I bounced from like relative to relative. And so I feel like I never really got that uh, paternal love from like both of my parents. And that's not their fault, but it's the reality. Like I just, I didn't spend time with them. Um, and I also felt like there was a lot of role reversal, especially when it came to my mom. And it's something that I'm still dealing with a lot, um, of, um, not necessarily having like, um, like a authoritative mother in my life. I feel like I've always parented my mom in return. Like I've always been there for her. And so um, all my life, like I haven't really like shared my feelings or my problems with my mom. It's always been the other way around. And it's because she's been in a lot more vulnerable situations in her life. So I've had a lot of role reversal and mediating as well, right? Like the relationship between my parents, like I've always been like essentially their counselor. So that's been a lot of that. And, you know, like a lot of my childhood moods, like, oftentimes I think about stuff and like I get really emotional just like throughout the day sometimes because I think about like 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 really like dark but like one of my relatives used to like hit me a lot like used to beat me a lot when I was a kid and my parents were fully aware of it but like it was like oh we're like they're family members like we can't really do anything about it and now I think about it I'm like bruh I would never let a person lay their hand on my child I would never if that happened I would kick their ass um, but you're still right, Sam, when you said that it shapes your personality because yeah. it makes you literally who you are. Because I see my childhood wounds springing up all the time in who I am as a person now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say also, you know, like I've just had a lot, I've had a lot more time to process my wounds. Like this mm-hmm. wound I shared of people crying at my birth. When I first realized these a few years ago, it took me a while of, I was crying. I had that lump in my throat. Mm-hmm. I had a whole process to go through mm-hmm. because I had not realized that literally from the moment I took my first breath, I was not wanted. Mm-hmm. And it, and I, as a child, I mean, I was like one minute old. I didn't know it as someone speaking to me. I felt it in the energy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, these things are very hard. You know, they hit at the core of you. Mm-hmm. And when they shape your personality, I think it's interesting because now I've had this realization where so many of my patterns and like what I do and who I am, it all stems from what I didn't get as a child. So I felt like I wasn't loved as a child. So my whole um, like young adult life has been this quest for finding love. And it's it's meant finding love in people who didn't deserve me. Like I, I was reflecting on this the other day where um, the last maybe like three or four years of my life, I've been in very like 
quick, short, romantic bouts of things with people. Like mm-hmm. I've just like been with somebody. It's been really intense on my end for a few months at a time. And then it ends. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do me. And then like two months go by and then it's like another person again, exact same thing. And it's because I constantly sell myself short. And, you know, it's because I had this like long, um, endless amount, like an, like a really big well that of love that I have to fill. And I keep taking just even the small belt, like bits that I keep getting to fill that large amount. Yeah. And that comes from my childhood because I felt like I wasn't loved as a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I just want to circle back and say, so um, I have in front of me like that, uh, you know, handout that Harpo was talking about. So this is based on the work of Dr. Mario Martinez, who did work on the primary places where we get pulled when we're stressed and upset and so that these are the three patterns so the patterns are you either go if you're feeling shame if your emotional state is shame the feeling is one of hopelessness mm-hmm. and so this is where the ways it is caused is if you were criticized blamed judged if there was bullying calling of names or meanness or guilt trips that's where you go mm-hmm. the other one is if, you, if we talked about abandonment that seems to be the one that's for the three of us hitting mm-hmm. home and what you feel is fear when people you know when you feel abandoned as a child you feel fear mm-hmm. and so neglect being ignored being left or abandoned physically or emotionally parent-child role reverses lack of interest or support and then the third one is betrayal so this is if you were lied to cheated uh, or cheated on broken trust or agreements not kept any kind of meanness being talked about maliciously or unfairly, abuse or responsibility not taken. And this is the one, Simon, even though he was talking about me maliciously as yeah. a child because you and I were so close, absorb all of it. you absorbed it as if it was you. Yeah. I think there, was no, there wasn't separation. So there the, the betrayal leads to a feeling of frustration. Mm-hmm. So all of these can happen, hopelessness, fear, frustration. The good news is that there is a way to heal yourself from these. It's like Harper was saying, as an adult, you get to parent your inner child. You get to give yourself what you didn't have for whatever reason. And and there is a way that you can work through this for yourselves. So what are some of the ways, Harper, just share some examples of how you're parenting your inner child? Well, the first thing... Um that I realized um, about your inner child and your childhood wounds is that um, I learned that we self-soothe in a various array of ways. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us self-soothe by um, getting into like horrible toxic relationships. Some of us self-soothe by like partying and drinking a lot. Some of us self-soothe by like isolating ourselves. So I feel like realizing, like for me, parenting my inner child was like, A, realizing what method I'm using to self-soothe myself. And um, I feel like unknowingly, like I was partying a lot. Like I was from like my 20th year, I went out every weekend and I got shit-faced every weekend. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that it was because I didn't want to be at home. Like I didn't realize that I was doing it because I didn't want to be home. And I felt like because I was like not an alcoholic, I was like tame and there's (laughs) there's no problem. But I remember my dad one day being like, excuse me, sis, like, why are you treating this house like a hotel? And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> oh, my God, I do that? Um, I was like, you can't? And so um, I stopped. I literally I just, it took that one, one thing, that one sentence, and I stopped. 
Um, but the way that I've been like really um, parenting my inner child is like, first of all, A, I went to therapy and I realized all these things. And so I wanted to get an awareness of it. So that's what therapy did. Um, the second was um, like really giving that five-year-old my like self uh, what it needed at that time. Because I feel like now as a 22-year-old, I'm like still wanting those things that five-year-old Harper wanted. Um, and sometimes it's like a good cry. Like sometimes like five-year-old Harper just wanted to cry and she felt like she couldn't because everybody at home would get mad or like her parents weren't around to soothe her. So now I just let five-year-old Harpo in 22-year-old body cry sometimes. Um, I actually tell people when they um, are treating me in a way that I don't want to be treated because I never used to do that. I used to just like let people do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And there was a few different ways that that manifested. It wasn't just people would say whatever they wanted. People did whatever they wanted. Um, So I don't do that anymore. I think the biggest thing has also just been like focusing on me because so much of that role reversal and mediator role made me project outward and like focused on external things. So like containing people's uh, emotions in the house, mediating fights, um, all these things. It was always like my attention was always on everybody around me. Whereas five-year-old Harpo needed to check in with her own feelings and emotions. And you might think like, oh, like, do you even have that much awareness as a five-year-old? Like, you'd be surprised at the yeah. shit that we pick up and learn yeah, at, totally. at that young age. And I'm telling so, you, you really do. I uh, think we pick a... up more then than we do now. Because we're picking up with all our senses. We just yeah. don't make... So the thing when is, when you get older, you've learned how to it. turn it off. As a five-year-old, you don't understand this yeah. meanness from this person who's supposed to love you and look after you. And basically, yeah. you're alive because they're looking after you. There's this... Um, this survival. real survival instinct kicks in, right? Um, mm. So I love what you're saying, Harpo, because all those examples you gave are exactly what we need to do. So maybe what I'll do is I'll kind of lead you guys through this exercise and you tell me what you would pick for yourselves. So for that first place where you're feeling shame um, and hopelessness, you know, if people were mean or bullying or calling names or blaming or criticizing you, so the healing field is called honoring, honoring yourself. And it's actually so powerful, it'll, it'll heal all wounds. So the way to honor yourself, like think about if you had a guest coming to your house and you were going to honor them, how would you honor them? What are some things you'd do for them? This respected guest is coming and you just wanted to really honor them. Nice food. You'd have nice <laughs> food. You'd clean the house, have some flowers. Yeah. I'd like tend to their needs, like if they yeah. have like allergies or like really yeah. get to know what makes them comfortable, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. you do a lot for them. So what you do is, because you can think of doing that for another, you have to do it for yourself. So that means acknowledging your own needs, acknowledging mm-hmm. your true self, you know, treating yourself as a beloved guest, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I buy flowers all the time, because they make me happy. So you, would, so, you know, listen to yourself, be attentive to your needs. It's kind of what you were saying, Harpo. Create a welcoming environment. Treat yourself. Be kind to yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so that's so that's one of the ones. And then, you know, we talked a lot about abandonment and the healing for abandonment. So if you, if you were abandoned, what you need is commitment for healing. <coughs> what, what makes you do that, Harpo? How are you gonna tell somebody who's abandoned to practice commitment? That's no, oh, you commit you, to you yourself. Commit yourself. This you isn't anybody. Yeah, else. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
There's me placing places. No, no, no. Actually, you know why, Harper? Because the thing with abandonment, the thing I learned was because I was abandoned, the first thing I do when stuff happens is I abandon myself. Like I make everybody else's priorities bigger than mine. Hell yeah. Right? So the thing with abandonment is it's become a thing where you'll abandon yourself before anyone else can abandon you (laughs) because that's the the pattern you've learned. Mm -hmm. So commitment means, like if I was committed to another person, I'd be telling them I love them. I'd be... Um, I would keep. I would say sorry. I would. I'm so sorry. I abandoned you, and that I, I would commit to them. Right. I would promise that this time I'm not going to break my word. Um. So then, that's what you do for yourself. Is you okay, promise and you fully commit to yourself, and you're doing it. You spent. You invest time in yourself, time and money, like the counseling. Yeah. Right. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Um. Allow yourself to be proud of yourself. Keep your word to yourself. Which is hard. That one's hard for me. I have so much. It's such imposter syndrome. Like I've, I could do a whole thing about imposter syndrome because that's what it is. Like I remember going to um, uh, like a self care workshop and doing like a body scan meditation, and the instructor said the words "You are enough," and it was like tell yourself "You are enough," and I bawled my eyes out at that moment because that was the first time somebody had said those words out loud to me that "You are enough." Because I feel like I've just like not felt enough my entire life. So committing to myself and um, what was the other part you said? That's like committing to yourself. And Allow yourself to be proud of yourself. Yeah, being proud of myself. It's like hard for me to be proud of myself. Yeah, and, and you know, like everybody tells me all the time, like, wow, Harpo, like you're such a cool person, blah, blah, blah. And I roll my eyes because unless it comes from me, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So the thing is, you see, this is a new thing. This is the other thing. So you want to rewire your brain. You're used to the abandonment, right? Because that happened when you were young. That's a pathway in your brain. But what you want to do with the commitment is, of course, the first time you say, I am enough, I'm going to laugh my head off. But actually, it's it's one of the key practices. I remember I went to Louise Hay um, lecture, and she said the one thing she does for herself is she has always has a mirror. She goes, I always look in the mirror, and I speak to myself lovingly. And I remember, you know, at that point, I was like, really? Looking at myself in the mirror, the first thing I would see was all my flaws. But if you actually mm. do that every single day and say not, you know, just truthful things to yourself and just like really slow down and, you know, the, the critical side aside of you, put that aside and be able to say, you know, what are the qualities, the ca- best characteristics and attributes that you have as a person? You know them. In fact, I want you to do them right now. The best things about me? Yeah, acknowledge yourself. Right oh my God. Where no, 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 don't do the oh my God thing. No deflecting, like really. No, I'm just saying, you know, where I'm at in my life right now, I've been going for ages. I'm Go a G. On. Honestly, I've realized it. I'm a cool ass person. I have so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Tell me like, some I've, I've put in so much work in myself. I'm a dope person. I'm such a good listener. Mm-hmm. Like, I have so much passion. I'm so creative. Um, I'm so introspective. I'm such a good friend. I'm such a good kid, like, I'm such a good daughter, you know, but, like, also, like, I'm damn smart, and I'm so sensitive to people, you know, okay, sorry, I'm taking you so much space, but, no, my, no, keep I, going, I, so, when I was in therapy, uh, I learned that I'm what they call a super feeler, which is, like, a highly sensitive person, it's, like, I'm so good at, like, ga- like, when I walk into a room, I'm so good at gauging, um, like, what everybody's doing, and how everyone's feeling, and I really pick up on, like, small things that nobody notices, and I was practicing this at a party that I was at yesterday, like, I noticed so many things about people that, like, nobody else in the room probably figured out, so that's, I'm, I, that's, like, a good, that's a, and, like, I used to think, like, 
So, okay, that stems from something, like, really fucked up as a kid, right? Like, because I used to, used to have to know what the hell was going to happen at all times in my house. Mm-hmm. But as an adult now, as someone who is parenting their inner child, that super feeler shit, I can convert that into something good. And what it does is it makes me a fabulous people person. Okay, great. All right. How about you, Simran? <laughs> You're going to go next. I don't know. Uh, I think... I don't know how to start that because I feel like I'm not very good at parenting. I haven't done any work on this inner okay, child stuff. So, so leave aside the parenting because, you know, that's just, oh, I haven't done any work on myself. I want you to look at, so this is the reframe. What are the qualities you know that as you were the go-between between your mom and your dad, as you were that person who was caught in the middle <laughs> at the age of seven, what are the qualities or things you've learned I'm no. laughing because, like, I'm a great multitasker. <laughs> you got to balance <laughs> two parents? Check. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I think the picking up on emotions thing that you said, Harpo, also really, um, hello, hi, I can do that because had to be like, ooh, you know, dodge a bullet if I need to dodge a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know. What about uh, emotional intelligence, babe? Yeah, like... Sure. <laughs> Emotionally intelligent, I guess. I don't really know what that means, but... Um, what it means is empathy. Are you able to understand yeah, the feelings I, of others? Yeah, empathy. I think I have a lot of empathy. I have... Like, I like to do things for people. Mm-hmm. Like, I like bringing my sister food all the time, because like, I know that that's the way to her heart. And she studies a lot and doesn't do it for herself, so I like to do that. Um, so you're very loving. Yeah. Loving, caring. Generous. Yeah, I think I, 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 and this is like a good thing and a bad thing. I think I, I like to throw myself into other people's things and like do things for them instead of, and in turn, like I avoid, sorry, this lump in my throat is not going away. Whoa. Um, I avoid a lot of like dealing with my own stuff because Mm -hmm. that's harder. Yeah. And I don't feel like going there all the time. Yeah. So, so Auntie, are you asking us to do this? Because, uh, like, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is that this exercise essentially allows you to see um, the good and the bad. Is that what this no. exercise so, is? So, actually, um, one of the things for abandonment, it was um, tell yourself that you love yourself. Remember the exercise you had of, you know, and then finding the qualities in you. That you can acknowledge. Because these are true. Yeah. See, this is why I'm so shit at that. Because I know you said earlier, like, oh, put put aside, like, your inner critical voice. Yeah. Like, I cannot do that. And I'm very self-sabotaging in that way. But I can't get rid of this wavering voice. And then just go oh, it's how it feels today, guys. Like, I wasn't feeling Try before. It it's just the way it is. But, uh, yeah, I'm really self-sabotaging that way. Where, like, you know, you're all talking about, like, this, doing this work, whatever. And, Harper, you're talking about your therapy. And... I tried to go therapy once. I think I have, like, I have, like, mental breakdowns every two years. So, like, every year or so, like, I just, like, crash. Because I've been trying to keep up with, like, what we talked about last week. Like, my mask, whatever that is, right? Like, I'm always trying to keep up and stay at this level. But I just crash every so often. And, like, I'll do the thing where I'll be like, okay, I'm really not good right now. Like, I'm not in a good spot. And I'll try and go therapy. I'll go for, like, two, three sessions, cry it out a little. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm fixed. I'm done. I don't need to do that anymore. And I'll just, like, dip out of that. And then 
I think right now I'm working with a coach and that's like the longest that I've ever tried to invest in myself. And even then, like I sometimes avoid or like delay by a week in meeting up with her. And I spoke to her the last time I spoke to her, I was like, every time that I have to talk to you and I know that I have a meeting, like I love it when we're doing it. But beforehand, I'm really nervous and really anxious and I don't want to do it at all. And I'm really regretting having like said, yeah, 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 for sure. And then the whole time we're talking, I have this emotional lump. And I'm like, I don't normally get this when I talk to everybody else. So, like, I'm good at making jokes and, like, deflecting about how I'm feeling. But, but Simon, the lump, what the lump is telling know, you is then, that you're actually yeah, now I know. facing and, it. And that's, that's what we talked about. And I was like, this because I feel like I've had to quiet so much of myself for so long and wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to say things. That now... Sim, did something happen in your life recently that, like, do you think that triggered all of that? Like, <laughs> brought, brought she that says up? that knowing the answer full well. Um... <laughs> Yeah, like, okay, so I went through a breakup, which was pretty shitty, and I think it up, it uprooted my life and upside-downed my life in so many different ways, and the inner critic in me would be like, oh, wow, you're really gonna let this man, like, ruin your whole life when, like, it's just a relationship, but, like, it was a lot. I had to move, and I moved, and then it didn't work out, and then I didn't have a job, mm-hmm. I didn't have a home, I didn't. Ha- I was on the wrong side of the country, I didn't have the relationship that brought me there, and then I decided to come back. And since then, have been trying to pick up the pieces of that, like, what that is, and have realized because when you're in it, you're, like, you're on another level of crazy when you're in it, and you're you're denying the reality that is the situation. And there's a reason why I left that situation. There's a reason why I moved home. Like, I knew at my core that I wasn't good with it, and I wasn't going to stay in it. And then, you know, coming back the last few months, I've been like, okay, what's going on? How, like, and I've been realizing that... I was doing that thing where I throw too much of myself into the other person and I'm not getting what I need back, but I'm allowing it to continue to happen because I'm like, oh, but this is, this is what it's supposed to be because that's the only kind of thing that I've known my whole life. So, so that is exactly why I ask you if there's something that ha- has happened in your life that has triggered this like lumpy feeling in your throat. Yeah, it's and, triggered like, it again about for it. sure. And that's because, and this goes back to like what we said in the beginning of this podcast episode is that we bump into our childhood wounds like later on in life. Like oh, they happen sure. when we're kids and I feel like we have like a period in our life where like our brains are developing and I literally like don't remember like X, like I don't remember from like seven, six or seven to like whatever, 13, 14. I don't know. I don't yeah. remember it. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like we bump into our childhood wounds and those are usually like triggered by something that happens in our life that like reminds us of that feeling. Yeah. So I remember, I remember hearing um, like, I remember again at the same workshop that I went to where I like, cried um oh wait Harpo which one would that be there's so many of them but um <laughs> the, this particular workshop was basically like your body doesn't your body doesn't know like situations it only knows feelings mm-hmm. and yeah. so let's say something happens to you and it makes it, it like incites a, a type of feeling in your body and if you don't address that feeling and you don't work through that feeling like it'll go away in that moment but then like later down the road something else will happen and yeah. it'll make you it mean it'll make your body your body will think that it, the same thing is happening so then that yeah. exact same feeling comes up but your body isn't able to differentiate between like hey no actually that time it was this but this time it's this all it knows is it's those same feelings yeah. so those emotions can keep happening again and again right like yeah. so the abandonment and like the the like the the mediating or whatever taking responsibility investing yourself in the other person the, like when you're in situations that like have those feelings, even though they're completely different situations, your body like gets re-traumatized because yeah, you haven't worked through that sure. emotion. Hundred percent, and I think that's what happened as well as that relationship. Because I remember 
like it wasn't like oh it ended out of nowhere like these mm. issues that were coming up were not new issues they were there from the very beginning and every three months i would cry to my friends about it and i'd be like why am i feeling this way i would always feel so conflicted and very frustrated so all these things that we talked about the same mm-hmm. feelings that i felt were coming up again in that same way but i wasn't i was like in such denial and my desire to hold on to it and to be loved and to get what I wanted from it was so strong that I stuck yeah. it out for three years. And that happened. So, and then it, what it took was a really, really, like, very obvious thing to happen of, like, a, like a huge feeling of abandonment that I only really recognized, like, the other day. Because, like, in this situation, like, I felt like he just dropped me. Like, mm-hmm. drop kicked me. Like, that's how I felt. Yeah, that didn't happen. Not, even, not just drop. That didn't happen, but I felt like I had been drop kicked and shoved to the other side of the planet. And yeah. you know, it was so weird. It was so weird. So I guess what I'm what I wanted to say is the fact that when these things happen as adults, what we have to do is take a step back and choose not to repress them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Harpo, you know how you started out with the self-soothing? I know the way that the ways that I self-soothe. I can do that in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I read a lot. I escape into fantasy and I eat. That's what I do, mm-hmm. right? And so when I can when I can catch on to the fact that I'm self-soothing and I can actually stop and feel this uncomfortable emotion, usually it doesn't take long. The emotion doesn't last for very long. Maximum five minutes, man. Three minutes. Yeah. You just think it's such a long time, but allow that lump to come. Allow it to get even worse. Yeah, I that's think the work. I instead of repressing exactly. It, that's allow all. It. All I do is repress it. All I do is self soothe, and so much so that I don't want. I, I yeah. delay the feeling so much that I'm just feeling it fucking anyway. And what happens and is... torturing myself. That's what course. I do. Because, number one, you're not feeling it. You're not allowing your, yourself to live. And in the background, the feeling's just getting bigger. Because it's, it's like, getting, I haven't been yeah, felt. it's getting bigger. And, and it's then, getting stuck. And then the criticism and, and all Ugh. that, like, is coming back even stronger. Because you're like, you're not dealing with it. You're not doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, I can't do all this stuff because I feel like shit and I don't want to get off the couch. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I want to... Before we move on, I want to move on to the last one. Um... So the last one was betrayal. So if you feel that you were betrayal, betrayed, the healing is to value yourself, right? So stand up for yourself, set appropriate boundaries, focus mm. on your strengths, acknowledge yourself, apologize to yourself, you know, um, honor your values and create a vision or a life that you want to live. Take time for yourself, know your accomplishments, your your compliments people give you like instead of deflecting them like really sit and listen and allow them because these people giving them to you like Harpo and I were today Simran we weren't just speaking for the sake of speaking this is what we see in you but you have to allow it in Mm -hmm. and um, yeah so that's the third one so what Sim just said is that um, and obviously I'm paraphrasing but you said something about how not addressing it makes it get bigger and bigger, correct? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's so important for us to address our childhood wounds um, and to like really work on parenting our inner child. And it like for me, it's five. For Andy, you said it was like you know when you were born, and then also when you were like seven, perhaps, mm-hmm. or like no, that was Sam seven. You know, um, it can be a different age for all of us. It it really depends, and also different things can have happened to us. But you know. And we might just generally fit those three, those three things that Auntie talked about. But I think it's so important for us to definitely address those things because, like Sin said, it does get bigger and bigger. And what happens is, like, 
life goes on, right? Like shit happens to you. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna be constantly triggered and re-triggered by your your wounds again and again. And also like they're part of your personality. So like I couldn't I couldn't figure out why stuff was happening to me all the time and why it was the exact same shit happening to me again and again. And I was like so used to being the victim of my own circumstances and realizing what my childhood wounds were helped me get out of that victim mentality and it helped stop that cycle it stopped it helped stop those same things from happening to me again and again and and it's important to realize like what part of ourselves are act and I say this all the time like what part of you is actually you and what part of you is stuff that has happened to you or has been has been taught to you and I think like addressing your childhood wounds and working on yourself is really just about stripping all that away and just going back to like your real authentic self like who you were before all this shit happened to you and I want to also emphasize again on this point in the beginning the caveat she made about like our parents don't sometimes actually mean to do these things and I speak from experience like when I when I came out and told my parents all these things that they felt horrible like they they genuinely didn't want to do that on purpose. And I can see it because they've been different parents to my brother than they have been to me. So I know that they didn't mean to do it on purpose. But that being said, it doesn't. And like, I want to get your both of your um, your thoughts on this, too. It doesn't make it OK. Just because they didn't mean it doesn't mean doesn't make it OK. Like. For me to be able to move on, like, yes, I can, like, understand where they came from. But then I also need to hold on to the fact that, like, what happened to me as a kid, like, wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that sometimes like, I used to think about was, as a kid, I used to think, when I have kids, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z, and instead I'm going to do A, B, C. And that mm-hmm. was based on what worked and didn't work for me from my parents, And I also recognize that that's exactly what they probably did. You know, what didn't work for my parents and what am I not going to do to my kids or try to do to my kids instead? And that it's a cycle and that my kids are going to say the same thing, even though I think I'm being the best parent because I'm not doing all the horrible things that happened to me or whatever or trying not to put them in those situations. I'm going to do some other whack shit and probably hover a little bit too much, right? Like there's all that cycle is going to keep continuing because nobody is perfect and nobody's like you can't be a perfect parent and I think sometimes, like, what could because of what happened to you as a kid, you try and say, I'm going to be a perfect parent, and you really hold on to, like, this is the way to do it and the way not to do it. But that might not work for your kid, because mm. every kid is different. <laughs> and so then you need to acknowledge that it might not be right for them, and that they're allowed to say, it's not okay for me. And if you yeah. hurt their feelings, you say, I hurt, I'm hurt. i sorry I hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry this didn't work, and I'm sorry I did all these things. It doesn't excuse it, exactly like you said, but mm-hmm. the more, like, fluid you can be with that and accept, accept the, like, speaking from my experience, like, if my dad was more receptive to what I actually said to him, I feel like the relationship wouldn't have deteriorated the way it did. Mm-hmm. Because I always 100% held on to, like, it being salvageable. Still do. A fraction of me still does. It's so funny because for a large part of, like, my young adult and, like, adult life, I always told my friends that I didn't want kids. I said, like, I just don't want children. I don't want to have them. I was really against it. But um, learning my childhood wounds um, kind of helped change that. It was like, okay, you know what? Actually, no. Like, I don't have to be afraid of having children because, like, 
Like, I feel like I was always, like, people who have kids just, like, fuck the people up, like, fuck mm-hmm. the kids up. Yeah. But I was, like, I same thing. Same. I was, like, no, I'm going to be the best mom in the entire world. I'm going to raise, like, the most dopest, wokest, like, feminist kids in the world. Yeah. And, like, listening to you saying that, like, yeah, like, double overboard with the parenting. It's, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I should probably write that down. As a like, you're going to do your best, right? Like, that's the whole thing is that you're always trying to do your best. Your intentions, mm. for the most part, are always going to be pure, right? Because you're trying to protect, and, and how many of you can, like, really see that? Like, your parents are doing what they did for you beca- because they didn't get it from their parents, They right? didn't know better. Oh, they didn't they know didn't better. Know how. They didn't know better. They didn't know how, but the, the, the important but in that is that doesn't mean that you get to be guilty and take on a whole shitload of guilt that, like, mm-hmm. I... I should just take it. I should just, whatever they're doing, if it's bothering me, I don't care. I should just let it happen because they did, they had to sacrifice so much. They had to whatever. You got to keep paying it forward. And if it doesn't work for you, you let them know. Because at the end of the day, you want the relationship to be stronger than what it is. And the more that we can open ourselves up to that, you know, what's the word? Not criticism, but like the other one. Feedback. Right? Is is the way that it's going to go forward because... You're, if you're, how would you feel if your kid felt that way about you but couldn't talk to you about it? Mm-mm. You'd be like, mm-hmm. of course I'd want them to tell me about it because I'm trying to be the best parent that I can. I, I want to end with saying what, I, what I'm hearing re- really is just do your best. Always do your best, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. one of the four agreements. And so this means right now, Simran, you're being down on yourself and not parenting yourself, but actually you've gotten quite far. You know, you've been mm-hmm. working with the coach, so yeah. you're doing your best. I'm doing my best at my age to do whatever parenting is left. Harper's doing her best. And that's what we want our listeners to do. You don't have to keep getting caught in these patterns of mm-hmm. abandonment, betrayal, mm-hmm. shame, hopelessness, sadness, fear, frustration. There are mm-hmm. ways that you can parent yourself and rewire your brain. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you heal yourself, one of the sayings that I really believe in is if I'm working on myself and healing myself, I'm healing seven generations in the past seven generations in the future yeah. and uh, you know seven layers to the side and so mm-hmm. if everyone does their work there's hope for the world mm-hmm. and so if there's any takeaway from this podcast it's uh exactly everything that your just said but also um you owe it to your future self to do this work today it being uncomfortable now and working through the hardship that you've been through and are going through right now it's uncomfortable and it hurts like hell and it's really annoying and frustrating but it's an investment into your future self and it's an investment into the partner you end up with your future kids and then their kids so that's what auntie said it's for generations to come so there's absolutely no excuses anymore you gotta be there for yourself you gotta show up for yourself and you gotta you gotta give yourself everything that you never had 